Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. But we're going to continue the series that Pastor Rocky started last week called Uncomfortable. And I want to review just real quickly some of the things that, that Pastor Rocky shared with us last week. Uh, he talked about how convenience is something that we all really love as human beings, right? He talked about the drive through and how convenient that is and how the best drive throughs are the ones that have the trash can at the end of the drive through because that is super convenient. And I am absolutely agreeing. I was amening him that whole time. When you find that gold mine, that's a, that's a great day, right? And so he was talking about how we as human beings, we create crave convenience, but we can also become slaves to convenience as Christians as well. We can make our Christianity so convenient. And he talked about in 1 Kings chapter 12, when the Israelites should have been going to Jerusalem to worship, and instead they set up some other altars to worship, and it was a thing of convenience for them. And that's not what God had intended. And in our lives, we do that same thing. We tend to worship at the altars that are convenient. And Pastor Rocky's statement that you can sacrifice in the altars of convenience, but you can never obey there is so strong. And it's really kind of followed me this whole last week. And so I'm, I'm hoping to kind of build upon the foundation that was laid last week in the series is uncomfortable as this morning we talk about comfortable condemnation. We all love to be comfortable. And if you're questioning that in your mind, you don't have to look any further than your afternoon today. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do today when I go home. It's Sunday afternoon. I usually don't take naps. It's hard for me to sleep in the middle of the day. But today feels like one of those days. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to try to take a nap. And there is uh, something on television today that's going to help me take a nap because it's Sunday of the Masters tournament, golf tournament. And there, I love golf. I love playing golf. I love watching golf. But man, I love napping to golf. Can I get an amen? Anybody in the room? That's a good sleep right there. When you can sleep to golf, that's a good day. And so that's what I plan on doing. When I go home, I am not going to try to find the most uncomfortable spot in the house to lay down. I'm going to try to find the most comfortable spot in the house to lay down. And every single one of you in the room, you know where that spot is in your house, and probably you and your family fight over that one really comfortable spot in the living room or that one chair or that one place on the sofa. Y'all are acting like you're holier than me. Don't even do that today. I know you all have that, and I know there's been blood, sweat, and tears have been poured over trying to fight over that spot first. And if you're just confused, it's because you never get that spot. You got to try harder than that. You got to fight. You got to fight for your right to sit in a comfortable spot today. So we love to be comfortable. In fact, we will actually spend more money to be more comfortable. We'll spend more money on sheets with a higher thread count because we want to be comfortable. We'll spend more on a pair of shoes because those are more comfortable than the cheaper pair of shoes. We do this. And, and I was actually thinking about this the other day because I had this amazing million dollar once in a lifetime idea. You ready? And I'm going to give everybody a chance to invest in it after I roll this, this plan out to you in just a second. But I had this idea years ago when Deanna, my wife, was pregnant with, uh, with our daughter, and, uh, and I was reminded of this recently as my wife has once again contracted the pregnancy, um, <laughs> that uh, I, know, I know how it works. Don't explain it to me later. Um, 
And so, but, but it's, about, it's about the time of the pregnancy where the clothes start coming out of the closet that are maternity clothes and these amazing, this amazing invention called maternity pants. Have you seen these things? They're, they're amazing. They look like, I'll fill you in just in case you haven't seen these. They're, they look like regular pants from like the waist down, but the waist above for about eight or 10 inches, it's just nothing but elastic to allow the expansion of, you know, human growth, that kind of thing, right? And, and so I saw these pants and to be honest, I was a little jealous because I'm like, man, those look really, really comfortable. Why is it that women get all the advantages? Why is it that women get to be comfortable in these pants and men don't? Yeah, okay, I know. Yeah, they have kids and we don't. Big deal. But, um, <laughs> but I, so I started thinking to myself, I'm like, you know how, how great it would be if we had something like this for guys? So, so here's the deal. Here's, here's what I'm going to roll out to you. My, my million dollar idea. You ready? If you steal the idea from me, you at least got to give me some money and then help us build the building out there. All right. So man-ternity pants. Think about it, right? Now you're judging me right now, but just wait until I explain how helpful these could be to you, man. Listen, Thanksgiving, right? You don't want to show up to the table in sweatpants. You don't want to be that guy. So you put on your maternity pants, right? You look presentable and you sit down without having to fear overeating and having to, you know, like loosen up your belt a little bit because maternity pants, right? Listen, here's the other service that I will offer the world in this invention of maternity pants. It eliminates plumber's crack forever. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. That's just my little service, right? Man, think about how awesome that would be, right? But we love to be comfortable. We really do. And a lot of times it's fine to be comfortable, but there are some times in our life when being comfortable can absolutely hinder us from getting where we're trying to go. Like, let's just say that I wanted to get more in shape. That I don't, but let's just say that I did. It's not that I think I'm in shape, it's just that I don't care enough to want to get into shape. So let's just say that I wanted to start exercising more, right? But my most comfortable you know, spot in my house is waiting on me to sit there with a remote in my hand this afternoon. If I do that, I'll be comfortable sitting in that place on my sofa with that remote, but that's not going to get me any closer to a goal of becoming better in shape, right? That makes sense. And in our Christianity, sometimes we can get comfortable, and when we get comfortable in our Christianity, it's not helping us get any closer closer to God. It's not helping us become better followers of Jesus Christ at all. And I know when we think about the idea of being comfortable in our Christianity, we think a lot about what Pastor Rocky talked about last week with conveniences and, and how we can kind of rest and relax and we don't necessarily, you know, put ourselves out there and we don't share Christ and all those kind of things. And yes, absolutely, I mean that. But this morning, more specifically, I want to talk about how we get comfortable in condemnation. We get comfortable as Christians in condemnation. And this is not a super exciting topic to talk about, but it's something that we need to deal with and that we need to talk about this morning because if we're not careful, we're gonna let the lie of condemnation tell us that we're worthless, right? We're gonna allow those lies to, to get into our minds and tell us that we're too damaged to have a real relationship with God. We're gonna let those lies tell us that our sin is too great for God to handle. And when we do, we can become comfortable in that condemnation because it's who we become. We identify with our past. We identify ourselves by our sin instead of identifying ourselves by what God's word says that we are. We become comfortable in our condemnation. And condemnation and guilt and shame, they're all just smoke screens from Satan, honestly, to distance us from God and to distract us from what God has for us. Because God has big plans for our life. And Satan knows that if he can distract us with our past and with our sin, 
then we won't be able to get any of that accomplished. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to expose the lie of what condemnation is. I want to show it for what it is so that we can move past it, so that we can fulfill the plan and the purpose that God has for our lives. And so if you would turn with me to John chapter 4, and as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background on this passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading today. John chapter 4 starts out sharing this story of Jesus talking to a woman. And this is actually, in Scripture, the longest recorded one-on-one conversation between Jesus and any one person. And so the Bible records this conversation, and so there's a, it's a lengthy passage of Scripture, so we're going to jump around a little bit, and I might stop here and there, so, so just kind of keep up with me. All the verses will be on the screen uh, if you're concerned about following along. But at this point in Jesus' ministry, as we pick up here in just a couple of minutes, we, we learn that Jesus has really just started his earthly ministry. He hasn't traveled extensively. He hadn't done a ton of miracles yet. And so he was really just kind of getting started. And he and his disciples were traveling from Judea to Galilee. It's about a 30-mile trip. And that's walking. That, they're, they're walking that clip. And at the point of the story, we find them stopping at a little town called Sychar in Samaria. And Samaria is a place that most Jews would avoid. In fact, this trip from from Judea to Galilee, this is a trip that most Jews took longer than 30 miles to, to take because they would go a long way around Samaria. Because if you know anything about the history of Jews and Samaritans, they don't get along. And that is putting it lightly. They hated each other. They despised each other. Jewish people looked down on Samaritans. And and so there's this really, really bad blood between them. It's to the point where there was a law on the Jewish books that if you were walking past, as a Jew, if you were walking past a Samaritan, and that Samaritan would kick up some dust just by walking on the dirt roads that they had, and that dust would settle on you, you were ceremonially unclean. You could not worship in the temple. That's how much disdain these two groups of people had for each other. And this is where Jesus chooses to go. He could have gone a bunch of different routes. There are different ways to get where they were going. But Jesus chooses the route that everybody else avoids. Jesus chooses to go into the town where these people are that hate each other, but he chooses to go there anyway. And I'm so glad that Jesus chooses to go to the places that nobody else will go and talk to the people that nobody else will talk to. Because I got news for you, I'm one of those people. And so I'm so grateful for that. And so Jesus chooses to go through this town and that's where we find this conversation, this encounter that he has in chapter four, verse six of John says this, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about, is about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Now let, let's stop right there because she's stating a couple of really obvious things, but I'll, and I'll get there in just a second, but what we have to realize is this was really uncommon for somebody to be out getting water from this well at noon. Noon is the hottest part of the day. And so it didn't make sense for her to travel from the town all the way out to this well to get water in the middle of the day because what most women would do is they would wake up and they would go early in the morning because it's nice and cool. That makes their trip a lot more enjoyable. And in fact, Culturally, they would all travel together. All the women would walk together down there. And while they were getting water, they would, you know, hang out and they'd swap stories. And I know, I know that this doesn't happen anymore, but remember, this is thousands of years ago when a bunch of women would get together, they would share gossip. I know that doesn't happen anymore, right? 
And so they would get together and they would swap stories and all that kind of stuff. And so that, that's typically what would happen. And so we know that this woman wasn't there earlier. She came later in the day. It was really, really, I'm sure it was pretty hot and it was probably an inconvenience for her. And so that was one strange thing that, that we kind of see at the very beginning of the story. The other thing, she mentions both of them. She says, why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? That didn't happen. Jewish people didn't engage in conversation. They basically just ignored Samaritans. Not, you know, they didn't even give them the common decency of acknowledging their presence in places. And here is a Jew sitting at the well. And when the Samaritan woman walks up, he speaks to her first which also, another level, is a little out of bounds because in their culture, men didn't speak to other women unless that other woman's husband was present. And so there is this confusion that happens with this woman. She shows up at the well in the middle of the day, probably you know, not looking to run into anybody, and there's this Jewish man that starts talking to her, and so she starts asking the obvious questions about this. And so it's a very strange scene that we see. It's not common at all, and so it starts out with some tension. It starts out with being a little bit unusual, and then it continues like this in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let, let's stop right here for just a moment. So what's happening is it's easy for us to see in hindsight. It's easy for us to know everything that we know about God and Jesus and the Bible and see what's happening here. But she is missing this. She comes up and has this conversation with this Jewish man who asks her for a drink of water. And all of a sudden he says, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't just be asking me for a drink of this water from this well. You'd be asking me for a drink of living water. When you drink living water, you'll never be thirsty again. And the only thing that she can think in her mind is her physical need of thirst. She realizes that every day she has to come out to this well in the middle of the day when it's really hot. And if she could not have to do that anymore, she's on board. That's, I mean, that's, that'd be a huge convenience for her to not have to do this anymore. Anymore. She is seeing no further than her physical need when she comes in contact with Jesus. And honestly, for most of us, when we come in contact with Jesus or when we pray to God, most of the time it's because we have a physical need that we want him to take care of for us, right? God, I, I need healing in my body. God, I don't have enough money to make rent. I, God, I, I need you to work on the lives of my children or whatever it might be. We ask God for all of these physical needs and Jesus is there offering so much more than just a drink of water or so much more than just an opportunity opportunity to not have to walk to the well anymore. He is offering grace. He's offering the sacrifice of him so that she can enjoy eternal life with God. That is what he's offering by offering her living water. You see, when she walks up, the only need that she acknowledges is her physical need. But when she walked up, Jesus acknowledged her spiritual need. She was thirsty, all right, but she was thirsty spiritually. She was longing for a relationship 
with Christ, and she didn't even know it yet. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Because that's where we all are at least one point in our life, longing for something more. And Jesus is offering this. And so Jesus offers her this, and she is looking at it on the surface and saying, oh yeah, if I don't have to come out to this well anymore, that would be fantastic. And so in verse 16, it says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here, which is not, not out of bounds. You remember the conversation's going, and so he's asking for her husband to be present, which is pretty common back then. In verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So that escalated quickly, right? So all of a sudden, he's talking about living water, and then, uh, you know, hey, go get your husband. What? I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right. You've had five, and the guy that you're living with now is not your husband. I mean, can you imagine the expression on her face? You know, the jaw had to drop when that happened, because this, you know, this guy that she is talking to, this Jewish guy, just told her everything about herself that, that no stranger could possibly know. But what it does is it gives us a glimpse into this woman's life. It gives us a glimpse into why she's out there at noon, the hottest part of the day. Why is she, you know, so inconveniencing herself to be out there in the middle of the day when it's really, really hot. Well, it doesn't take long to figure out if she's had five previous marriages and she's living with a man that's not her husband, you know, at this point, she's not going to want to be around all of those other women that show up early to the well, because you can only imagine what that scene would look like. And my guess is she probably had that encounter once or twice, enough to show her that she doesn't want to do it anymore. I mean, imagine her walking up with her jar and all the other women with their jars, knowing of all her failed relationships, knowing of her current status, and the cattiness that would take place, the whispers, the sarcastic remarks, the biting comments, the looks. I mean, man, that had to have been uncomfortable for her. And so instead of having to deal with all of that, she just decides, I'm going to go in the middle of the day where I know no one is going to be there. She isolated herself. This woman was so comfortable in her condemnation from the lifestyle that she was living that she went way out of her way and changed her routine of life to go to this well in the middle of the day because she was so comfortable in this condemnation that she was willing to distance herself, isolate herself from everybody else. And you see, that's the scariest part of what condemnation does. That's why Satan loves to allow us to feel condemned. He wants us to feel condemned because he knows that if he can get that thought in our mind, if he can take our past offenses, if he can take our past sin, if he can take all of our mistakes and bring them to the front of our mind and get us to feel guilty and ashamed and condemned for them, then our natural reaction as human beings is to push people away. It's to, it's to isolate ourselves from those relationships that we know are good for us. It's to isolate ourselves not only from the people that are good for us in our lives, but it also has a tendency to make us isolate ourselves from God. Not that God goes anywhere, but it's that we push away because we have this idea in our mind, well, I can't pray and I can't read God's word and I can't do all this because, I mean, after all, God's probably ashamed of me. I don't want to talk to God because what if, he get, what if he's mad at me? What if he just points a finger at me? What if that all happens? What if my sin is too great for him to forgive? I, you know, I, and so we just distance ourselves. And we distance ourselves and we put separation between us and all the healthy relationships in our lives that get us closer to God. We stop coming to church and we stop coming to man up and table talk and all the different events where you can build relationships with other believers that can help you on your walk with Christ. Because after all, when we're in condemnation, we don't want to talk to anybody else because God forbid they would actually bring up that sin or they would hold us accountable or they would judge us or they would condemn us for what we're doing. 
You see, isolation is the devil's trick because he knows that it's easier to take us out of God's plan for our lives when we're all by ourselves. And I know this from my extensive research of watching the Discovery Channel and Animal Planet. And I, you, know, you watch those, those documentaries about the, you know, the, the predatory animals out there on the, the plains of Africa. And when they go after a gazelle or an antelope or something like that, they don't go after the entire herd. You've seen this. I'm sure you've seen these, these films. They don't go after the entire herd. They try to separate the weakest one, don't they? They, show, they try to separate the weakest one from the rest of the herd because there is strength in numbers. And when they get that one isolated all by itself, that's when they attack. That's when they pounce. That's when they go after it. And Satan works the same exact way. The Word of God actually says that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so the enemy wants us to be isolated. The enemy wants nothing more than for you to think about all of the sins that you have ever committed and then push yourself away from everybody because then he has you exactly where he wants you. He can get into your mind and he can convince you that you're worthless, that you're no good, and he can get you talked right out of accomplishing anything that God would have for you. And that's where we find this woman in this scripture, is she had isolated herself from everybody. She didn't want to show up and have to deal with the shame and the guilt and the regret and all that kind of stuff. She didn't want to have to deal with these other women talking about her. And so she would show up just in the middle of the day, as hot as it was, because it was worth it to her. She was so comfortable in her condemnation that she would go to those great lengths to avoid other people. And that's exactly what we do as well. So as soon as Jesus brings up the sin, he says, no, you're right, you're not married. The guy that you're living with now is not your husband, and you've had five husbands before that. When he brings up her sin, she changes the subject, which is what we do pretty much all the time too, right? When we're confronted with our sin, we're like, hey, what else can we talk about? Let's not talk about that. That's not fun, you know? And so she goes into this dialogue with Jesus about different worship styles and all kinds of things, and she's basically just trying to throw him off of the trail of talking about this sin because she's, she's feeling all this condemnation right now. And so they they talk about that for a little while, and we're going to jump ahead to verse 25. It says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak with you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Man, you talk about a complete 180 right? This woman shows up to the well in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to see any of those women, any of those people that might cast condemnation on her. She has one encounter with Jesus when she figures it out, when he makes it obvious to her, and he says, that Messiah that you're talking about, that's me. And then she might remember the words that he said just prior to that, living water, and all of this grace that he's offering her. So you're saying to me, you know, I show up to the well, and this man is here, and he's the Messiah. He's the only one that can condemn me, and he doesn't condemn me. Instead, he offers grace to me. And so you can imagine the feelings, the emotions, the, the, the gratitude that must have just swept her off of her feet almost as she is so elated that she drops her jar and she runs into town and tells everybody what's happening. And if you keep reading the story, you know that a lot of people come back out to the well where Jesus is and Jesus talks to them and they believe in Christ too. 
And so it's an amazing transformation in this woman's life. She goes from being isolated in her condemnation to being in front of everybody and fine with talking to anybody and everybody about this man that she had just met that offered her this living water. Because if condemnation isolates us, then grace includes us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't condemn her. Jesus included her in his grace. You see, I love how Jesus interacts with this woman. Because let's be honest, if that was any one of us in Jesus' spot right there with all of those hurdles of the, the hatred between those two groups of people and the customs of that day and knowing all of her past, we may not have extended that much grace. But Jesus doesn't point a finger. He, he doesn't get disappointed in her. He doesn't say, how dare you? He doesn't do any of that. All he does is offer her this free gift of grace, this free gift of living water. And you know what? Maybe some of you in this room, you walked in here today. And if you're really honest with yourself and if you're really honest with God, you'd say, you know what? I, I have become comfortable in my condemnation. There are things in my past. There are sins that I have committed. There are things that I struggle with guilt and shame and condemnation. And I've just been so comfortable in that condemnation because I just haven't wanted to change. Because it's so great, I'm not sure. If you're really, really honest, you might even say this morning, I don't know if God can forgive me for what happened. I don't know if God can forgive me for the decisions that I made and the mistakes in my past. There's great news for us today. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, I went to Bible college and I've studied the Bible quite a bit. And you know what this word now means? Now. It's deep, right? You're welcome. It means now. It means right now. So think about this. If you walked in here today feeling condemned, feeling guilt, feeling shame... Let me put this into context for you. There is, therefore, right now, in this moment, no more condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. It's a game changer. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Jesus didn't come to make us feel worse about ourselves. Jesus didn't come to heap a bunch of guilt on us. Jesus came to offer himself as the sacrifice so he could extend grace so that we wouldn't have to be condemned and feel guilt and feel shame so that we can worship a God who loves us immeasurably. That's why he came. But you know, there are some things that we need to do to get ourselves to a place where we get out of that comfort zone of condemnation, so to speak. Maybe we need to get ourselves into an uncomfort zone when it comes to condemnation. Yeah, we had a dog uh, that we rehomed. Am I saying that right? Rehomed. That's the thing that everybody says now. We got rid of him. Um, <laughs> I guess you say that so everybody knows you didn't like, kill him or something. So we did not kill the dog. We found a better home for him. Um, but man, this dog was just as dumb as a box of rocks, man. I mean, this was maybe the dumbest animal I've ever encountered in my life. Anybody have a dumb dog and you know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. I see those hands. I'll pray for you. Um, maybe you can rehome yours too. Um, not in my house. Look somewhere else. Um, and so this dog, man, you know, like, you know when you look at, like, at a person and you just, like, there's nothing going on, you know what I mean? Like, 
there's like wheels are spinning, but there's not a whole lot of activity, you know, behind the scenes, just like crickets and cobwebs. That's how I felt every time I looked at this dog. Like this dog is nothing going on here. And he would just stand around, like he would just stand around. And, and I'll, I'll never forget in the house um, that we lived at when we were, when we had this dog, um, the most comfortable spot in the living room, which I claimed every single time because that's how I roll. And so I would sit there and I would have the remote in my hand and I'd be watching TV and the dog would be between me and the, and the TV and he'd just stand there and he would just stare at me. This is how dumb this dog, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Dog would just stare at me. So it was awkward, you know, because nobody likes to be stared at while you're watching TV. You start getting self-conscious, like, is there something wrong with me? Like, what, you know? Um, and so the dog would stand there and, you know, if, if there was a program on that I wanted to change the channel or flip back and forth or whatever, you know, the, the components for our, our cable box were a little bit lower in a cabinet underneath the television, and he would stand right in between me and that, that cable box, right? And so the infrared signal would not reach. And so I would try to do this, and then, you know, you try to do what you do with remotes. I know everybody in here does it. You start pointing at the ceiling and everywhere else, <laughs> put it on your temple, maybe the brain waves will help it get somewhere. Uh, you know, you just like, uh, you know, try everything, because God forbid you actually have to get up, right, and move like, like the old days when we had to change the channel for our parents, when we were the remote controls. Can I get an amen? And so, and so I, I just remember being so frustrated at the dog, and so I'm like, if I can just get this dog to move, I won't have to get up. You know, I was comfortable. I was loving where I was. And so I would, you know, say, you know, get go, get, go. And you know, and the dog would know that I was talking to it, but the dog was so dumb that it didn't obey commands. It just got excited that somebody was showing it attention. And so it just get excited and just stand there like, oh, what's going on? All right. You know, and, like, and so I get even more angry with this thing because it wasn't doing what I was asking. No, get out of the way, go, go. And the thing would just get more excited and just like, all right, we're going to play now. Let's go, let's go. And the stupid thing would not move. That dog just would not move. And so finally I had to do the unthinkable and stand up. <gasps> I know, right? out of my chair and move, take a step to the left or to the right and point that remote at that cable box and finally change what happened. And in our lives as Christians, if we are in a place in our lives where we are comfortable in our condemnation, nothing is going to change unless we take a step, unless we make a move. Now listen, I want to be very specific. I'm not saying that you make a move to try to forgive your sin yourself. You can't accomplish that. I'm not saying that you make a move to try and fix everything in your life. We can't do that. But what I am saying is we need to take a step. We need to make a move toward accepting that grace that God forgives. Because if we stay in the same place, the same things end up happening. This woman at the well, she responded. She took that step. As soon as she realized what was happening, as soon as she understood what Jesus was offering, she didn't stay in that place. She went. She got other people to come to hear Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to move out of that place where we're comfortable in our condemnation. We need to get uncomfortable in our condemnation and run toward the grace that God provides, that God has supplied for us. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do because if we can be really honest with each other right now, condemnation is easy to stay stuck in because condemnation is really selfish. Condemnation says, look at all the things that I have done. Now I have to pay for all of this and, and now I've got to figure a way out myself. And as human beings, we can understand that. That makes sense to us. It's harder for us to say, wait, I, I've done all these things and, and, and my past looks like this and I've made all these mistakes. But Jesus, you're saying I don't have to, to claw my way out of this? You're saying that you've offered this gift to me for free? 
it's hard for us to accept that. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it because it's not about us at that point. Condemnation is all about us. Grace is all about Him. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.